0: Good morning, our scripture reading. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps would give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error, was fault, no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for a complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in the connection with the law of his God. Verse 7. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any guard or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction O king, did you not sign an injunction? that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Down to verse 16. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. Verse 20. And he came near to the den where Daniel was. He cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. This is the word of the Lord.
1: All right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. So Lord, may we may we glean from what you have written thousands of years ago. Uh, that would be very applicable and very uh, meaningful to us right here in 2020, right in our seat, in our car, wherever we are sitting. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, a while back, there was a movie called Conspiracy Theory starring Mel Gibson. Anyone seen that? Yeah? Okay, good. Thank you for the horn. All right, this movie, uh, Mel Gibson plays a taxi cab driver who is, who is convinced that the world is full of bizarre conspiracies and that he is the personal target uh, of an elaborate government plot. And so the movie casts light on, on the mental illness of paranoia. Right? Pe- people who suffer from this disease do not necessarily you know, see delusions uh, or hear voices. Um, their, their perceptions of what may be happening uh, may be perfectly normal, actually. This disorder it, it stems from a mistaken understanding of why these events are happening. And so they see a helicopter flying over their head. And, and, and they, they conclude that it's part of this secret governmental plot to monitor their movements. Or, or they may see someone in a restaurant who may look at them and then look the other way, right? And they believe that they are planning to murder them. You ever thought that? <laughs> the helicopter may be real, but the significance is misunderstood. The, the person may have actually seen you, but that paranoia has changed the meaning of what they looked at you for. And they wrongly think that people are plotting against them and that there are dangers lurking around every bush. And these people are just debilitated by fear and worry. Do we struggle with conspiracy theories in 2020? Well, you may be thinking of the QAnon, the pan or plandemic. It's an interesting movie. Uh, The deep state, (laughs) widespread voter fraud. I mean, there's all these different conspiracies of what's really going on behind the scenes. And they fuel and are fueled by paranoia. Do not be duped by these things. Now, Daniel's mindset could not be further from this. Daniel's mindset could be considered reverse paranoia in a world, in a world where where they are literally conspiring to kill him. In a world, in a world where there's dangers on all sides, <laughs> he exhibits peace that is just truly remarkable. Like he may not know the immediate why of what's happening around him, but he knows the ultimate why behind it all, that there is some greater power not lurking to take him out, but to rescue him. And so, one of the things that we'll see very clearly today is that we look at this text is that we live in a world full of lions, and not all of whom are caged in pits. We live in a world full of lions, not all of whom are caged in pits. And so, we're going to look at our text in three ways here. We're going to look at Darius in the lion's den, we're going to look at Daniel in the lion's den, and then we'll look at the exiles in the lion's den. Now, just a reminder, two weeks ago, Daniel was, the king, uh, w- was watching the king of Babylon go lose his mind that, and think that he was a werewolf. And then last week, we met Belshazzar, who, who had more frightening dreams that were calling out his own pride with this, this finger. And then this week, we get a new king <laughs> from a new empire named Darius, from the Medo-Persian Empire. And so look at that. We have, we have three kings in three chapters. Two, two new worldviews, Two new empires at stake here. Three kings in three chapters. And I think this in itself is intended to be a little indication of the message of this chapter. As well as the whole book. That kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. But Daniel, the symbol of the kingdom of God. Has, has been there, and he's remaining through it all. Like he has seen Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar come and go, and now Darius the Mede has arrived, and Daniel is still serving whoever is on the throne because he knows there is one who is greater on a throne. He knows there is one who actually has a better and greater throne. And now earlier this week, Malcolm suggested that this text has been mislabeled, he says that we should maybe title it Darius in the lion's den. And I think Malcolm has a good point there. Thank you, Malcolm. The story begins and ends with Darius, if you look at this. It begins and ends with Darius's reaction to God's work, watching what God does. And even though Darius is is the king of the largest empire the world has yet to see, he seems at every point to have almost no power. He seems almost... just just cut off from any power. He's the king. He can do whatever he wants. I mean, if I'm king, I think my first order of business is requiring everyone to buy a puppy. Wouldn't that just be great? Like, wouldn't we just be happier? Darius couldn't even do that. (laughs) He comes into power, and he's worried about his power. He's worried about people overthrowing it, and so he sets over it 120 satraps or these lower officials. And, and we wonder, why does he do this? In verse two it says, "So that the king might suffer no loss. He needed help, keeping control of his own kingdom." And so from the outset, again, like we have the insecurity of all kings on display here. That though they have the power, they're constantly in fear of losing their power. And Darius's power seems fickle from the start. And so he elects these officials and then sets over them three high officials. And Daniel was one of those high officials. And then Daniel rose in the ranks, he earned the respect from Darius and from the people around him. And now he's been named prime minister. But those in power could not have that. Like they could not have Daniel, an outsider, in charge. No way. And so they conspire with a real conspiracy in verse 7. All the high officials of the kingdoms, the prefects, the satraps, they agree that the king should establish a law that whoever prays to any god except Darius shall be thrown and cast into the lion's den. Oh, this is dirty. <laughs> this is wrong. They they knew that Daniel wouldn't betray this. They knew where his deeper loyalty was. And so, and the king here, who's, who's very insecure about his power, agrees to this because he wants some respect finally. It's like, ah, no one respects me. <laughs> and then these people come along and say, let's have everyone pray to you. Oh, good. Finally, someone appreciates my hard work, right? <laughs> like, This is where Darius is coming from because he actually loves Daniel. He greatly values him. And the high officials catch Daniel performing a true civil disobedience by going to his home, praying to his God. They see it and they rat on him. They tell the king and the king is just clearly frazzled by this. If you look at verse 14, it says the king who was much distressed set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. I mean, do you hear the king's heart here? How how much stress he has over this. He's laboring how to rescue him. Verse 15, then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can ever be changed. Now, in the ancient Near East, there was this, this law or code of Hammurabi. And the ancient king of Babylon, Hammurabi, wrote down his Ten Commandments, but for him it wasn't Ten Commandments, it was 282 Commandments. That would have been a little bit tougher, right? (laughs) And there there were these laws that were carved in Akkadian into this seven-foot-high stone pillar that you can actually go see to this day, it's it's in the, the Louvre in Paris, this giant mountain of a rock with 282 laws on it, and one of the laws on it is one that when a king makes a judgment, it cannot be reversed. That the Medes and Persians picked it up from, from this law of Hammur- Hammurabi, and now we know that Darius could have actually changed the law. Like, he actually probably could have just issued a new edict, in effect making that one null. And so there's ways around this that we've seen uh, in history and in scriptures, but it, but it shows you how imprisoned the king was to his political forces of the day. I mean, if he were to reverse this code or to an issue a new edict, it would further look like his reign is just in disarray, that he doesn't actually know what he's doing. And so against his best wishes, he lets Daniel be thrown into the lion's den. But as he goes into the den, the king says in verse 16, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. Do you hear the king's concern? And that night, the king goes without food, without his normal entertainment, and without sleep. He is stressing over this all night long. He is powerless to help, and he's driven to despair. And since we actually know the ending of the story, let me ask you, who do you think had a better night's sleep The king in his palace, or Daniel in a den of lions? His helplessness suggests that it is better to be a child of faith in a den of lions than a king in a palace without faith. Maybe there are some of you here today who who would not consider yourselves to be Christian. Do you feel some of this helplessness? Do you feel some of that despair? Can you identify with Darius? That all seems to be out of control. If so, pay attention to what Darius is looking at. Let's look at Daniel in the lion's den. I think one of the large themes of the book of of Daniel is, is how to live as exiles in Babylon. Daniel has, from the beginning, worked within a system that God has placed him in instead of trying to retreat from it or instead of trying to blow up the system, he worked with compassion and conviction in this foreign government. That was amazing. <laughs> that was amazing if you missed that. You can say that Daniel he he worked with salt and light within the administration. Usually I, I like to think of this story of Daniel in the lion's den as he's like this, this young teenager thrown into the lion's den, he's like agile, dodging these lions or something like this. He was 80 years old at this time. At this point in his life, he he is 80 years old. And so elderly here, don't let these young whippersnappers look down on you. We need you. We need your wisdom. The king is begging for Daniel's wisdom. He was so highly respected, even after a regime change, that the new political party said, you bring so much to the table. I need you. And not only over the 120 satraps, but over the high officials too. And so Daniel is the picture of how to lead and love in a world that doesn't agree with you. Yeah, the world may not believe in Jesus like you do or have a biblical worldview, but as Jesus himself says in Matthew 5, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It's two very different empires that saw something about him and that gave them reason to wonder, who is this God that he serves? And as we as Christians need to ask ourselves, like, are, are we as Christians known for our wisdom, and our truth and our love, even in our regime change, to be salt and light to both parties, or even over the two party system, as the authority shifts here in the States. Like we Christians have a theology and a history that should cut right through either political party. Not to just stand in the middle, but to tr- transcend partisan politics. That we, are more, that we are more pro-life than anyone. That, we are, more, that we, we are more marked by our care and compassion for the vulnerable than anyone. So we can't call either party home. And because neither party is home, we can happily work within either system, right? Daniel works within two different kingdoms. We can probably work within two different systems here. And yet, though he's able to work within the Babylonian Empire or the Medo-Persian Empire, he is not beholden to either empire. His ultimate loyalties are to the true king of heaven. They knew he would be praying. Do you know that? They're like, how are we going to get him? We can't find any dirt on him. We'll get him by praying. They knew he would be doing that. And so when they said, here's what we're going to do. You say, you can't pray. And what's he do? Uh, I'm going to pray, right? (laughs) Do you see how calm and peaceful he is amidst these threats of death? I mean, it's reverse paranoia. He's not worried about the events around him because he knows ultimately that God is working behind the scenes even to shut the mouths of lions. Now, maybe you're asking, what's the deal with all these lions? Like, is that a thing? Is that a normal thing to just have pits of lions (laughs) nearby your house? Um, It almost feels like an evil bad guy's lair that he presses a button and then just uh, like a a door opens up to a pool of sharks with laser beams on them. Well, you're actually not too far off from the truth. Um, (laughs) In the ancient Near East, the sport of kings was to go lion hunting or lion catching, And so you can see this from all the art uh, and the paintings of kings doing this. But they created this pit with lions, you know, to to have a a trouble-free way of disposing of undesirable members of the society. So it it was just practical, really. Um, And so (laughs) you have frail old Daniel who goes into this pit all night long. The mouths of the lions were shut by an angel of the Lord. And so not one scratch comes to him. I mean, have you ever been to the Waco Zoo? You ever been to the Waco Zoo and heard the lion roar? You can hear it on the other side of the zoo. It is terrifying. It is bone chilling. There is a reason that the lion is called the king of the jungle. Lions are terrifying. How scared would you be? I mean do these lions want to attack but they're just being restrained or did they want to cuddle up with Daniel well we don't know but the picture is probably more like that mandatory puppy that I'm going to give you and but it's not as if the lions had been defanged by the angel and turned into some purring house cats because after Daniel's been released the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and they were thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and their children. And this was a part of that code of law, law of Hammurabi. And it says, before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all of their bones. As they're falling to the pit of the, of the, the floor of the lion's den, they don't even hit bottom before the lions jump and break and tear. I mean, this is a violent Sunday school passage. But what does this have to do with us, right? Like, gee, I sure hope I don't get thrown into an evil bad guy's lair, dungeon. Um, no, that's not the point of this, this chapter, or this whole book. It, it, the, the point of this whole book is learning how to live as exiles in Babylon. And so how do you and me live in the lion's den? One of, the, one of the biggest insults they give Daniel comes back in verse 13, where they, they, they're, telling, they're telling on Daniel, then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you. Exile, was, that, that word was meant as an insult or, or as a slur that after all of these years, That after all of these years of living in Babylon, I mean, he's 80 years old now, and he served faithfully, yet he was still a foreigner and therefore untrustworthy. His deepest loyalties lay elsewhere because he's not one of us. And yet what that meant, what they meant as a slur was one of the highest compliments that they could have given him, even after all these years in the empire. Babylon wasn't his true home. He was nothing more or less than a pilgrim there. Daniel 6 reminds us that even after all of these years living in our Babylon, we too are strangers and aliens in this world, that this world is not our home. This world is a dangerous place. This world is not our home, and it never will be. Yet at the same time, we must also recognize that the enmity of the world can never hurt us beyond what the Lord permits. I mean, Daniel's whole life, his whole life was spent in exile in the metaphorical lion's den. Like, he's always been around lions, wherever he's been. And so Darius, Daniel, you, me, like, we live among lions, And the weird thing about this angel is he doesn't deliver you outside of the furnace or outside of the lion's den. I mean, do you notice that? That he lets them go into the furnace. He lets Daniel go into the lion's den. Why does he always let you go into it? Why does not he deliver you outside of it? This angel allows you and I to go in amongst lions And I've cried with some of you over that. I don't know why he didn't deliver you outside the lion's den. But he delivers us nonetheless. And the the angel is with you nonetheless. The angel is with you even in the den. And I think one of the reasons that Daniel in the lion's den is just an extremely difficult passage for us to hear is because thousands of stories and sermons end with, Dare to be a Daniel. Be courageous like Daniel, and God will take care of you. And no wonder a lot of you are not Christians. Because if the writer had put this story in the Bible, and you're innocent and good, then you not a scratch will fall on your head. Well, then no wonder you're not a Christian. No wonder you're so disillusioned. That's not Christianity. What about all the martyrs that went to their deaths for their faith? That's not the life and the message of Jesus. If the moral of the story is God will never let anything bad happen to you if you just trust, well, then, of course, you've given up on the faith. That's just inconsistent with our reality. When families break, when people you love deeply hurt you, then God saves you from every lion just seems to be just a bowl of hogwash. That's not even what happened to Jesus. I mean, who trusts more than Jesus? Jesus. Who was more innocent than Jesus? And he got thrown into a den, and the stone was rolled over him, and there were all kinds of scratches on him. And so why was this put here? It's to point to the salvation that we have waiting for us in the future and in the past. It's salvation pointing us to the future and in the past. In the future, it's a picture of all that will be restored I mean, the miracles of the Bible are not suspensions of the natural order. They are a restoration of that order. And they're pointing to the order to come. They're saying, this is how life will be. Isaiah 11 tells us this in Isaiah eleven six, He says, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopards shall lie down with the young and the goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The roaring lions are a symbol of the disharmony of nature. It's not meant to be this way. But one day, someday, God will wipe this all clean and there will be nothing but harmony and peace. For those of us whose bodies are not working right, there will be restoration. God is going to make it so that we can all lay around with giant lions playing gleefully, getting the best sleep of our lives. But this also points to a salvation in the past, that God has done more than send an angel to close the mouths of lions. That there was, there was another time when the hero who lived in this world, who, lived, who came to this world but was from another, was sent into a tomb and had a stone laid over it to seal him in, But when this hero, whose name was Jesus, emerged alive from the tomb at daybreak, he brought with him God's stamp of acquittal, not only of himself, but on all those who are joined to him by faith. When Daniel came forth from the lion's den, he came alone and he was found blameless, but no one else was delivered no one else was delivered by God's deliverance of him instead when Jesus came forth from the tomb he came out as the head of a mighty throng of company of people who have been redeemed from the pit and so his not guilty verdict is your not guilty verdict his liberation is your liberation his approval is your approval And so hear this proclamation from yet another foreign king. In verse 26, he says, for he, Yahweh, is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Do you believe that to be true? If you don't, I would ask you to dare to be a Darius and just look at what God has done. Look at what he's doing and what he's going to do. Doubt your doubts and see his hand at work in the lion's den. In your pain, put your hope and faith in him for he went into the lion's den for you. He delivers, he rescues. But even if you do believe, you need to hear that message as well again, again, and again. But let me remind you, believers, as fellow exiles in Babylon, let me quote to you a couple lines from Martin Luther's A Mighty Fortress is Our God. The very end, he says, The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Sometimes we as Christians need reminding that, lo, his doom is sure. The ending is already written. It's secure. And we can look back at what he's already done. We can look back at what he's done and and forward at what he's going to do. And we can have hope of what God is doing in our lives here. We may not know the immediate why of the events around us, but we know the ultimate why behind it all. That there is a greater power, the God-man Jesus, not lurking to take you out, but to rescue you. He has done it, and he will do it fully. Let's pray.